Genesis chapter 3 and verse number uh, number 4 is where we'll, we'll look at here. We have uh, looked at the, the adversary last week, and uh, we looked at how the devil came to Eve to deceive Eve. And uh, we looked at the adversary, the enemy, Satan. We see that he attacked the mind of, of Eve. And uh, we looked at also uh, Eve's response to that attack. Uh, in verses 2 and 3. Uh, and now we just began the next section, and that's the devil's lie in verse number 4. So the Bible says this in verse number 4 of chapter 3. It says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. I made this statement last uh, last week. I think this is kind of where we left off. A temptation it's an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. Uh, and a good thing would be to pass your exams. A bad way would be cheating. A good thing would be to pay your bills. A bad way would be stealing the money. The devil's response to Eve was, you're not going to die. And this is a direct denial, a direct denial of what God had commanded. God said, if you take of the fruit, ye shall surely die. And the response of the devil was, you're not going to die. Now, at this particular time, Eve had a choice. Believe God or believe the serpent. Satan is condemning in this passage of Scripture, and we have to understand this, he's, he's condemning the concept of absolute authority. God is our authority. When God makes a command, we are to follow that command. And so Eve had a choice. And we notice in the next verse here, and this is important, how the devil, how Satan dilutes the motives of God. He dilutes the motives of God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, it says, for God doth know... Now, now notice, notice what Satan is saying here. God knows. God knows that when you take of the tree, uh, that when you eat it, then your eyes will be opened and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Now, what is Lucifer saying here? God knows this. So by God not allowing you to eat of the tree, he's holding back from you. He doesn't want you to have this because he doesn't want you to live your life to its fullest. He doesn't want you to enjoy this blessing. And, and, and so the attack of the devil here is that Satan is saying, you, you are restricting yourself when you trust God. You are restricting yourself when you follow God or you follow God's uh, commands. And the idea that Lucifer is, and this is the deception here, He's saying, listen, if you believe me, you'll have more. If you believe me, then you can, you can be as, as gods, as a god, and you can know good and evil. Now, it's interesting that phraseology there that the Bible uses. It's interesting how uh, the Scripture says here that 
If you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be as gods. It's interesting because as you study world religions, uh, the Mormon church believes that Mormons become gods. And it's also interesting as you study the, the doctrine, the teaching of the Mormon church, they believe that Jesus, they believe that Jesus was created uh, by God the Father and that he exalted to godhood. This is what the Mormon church believes. And they use John chapter uh, 1 and verse 1 and they use their own translation to accomplish this, the, the living translation. They they would take the passage of Scripture that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then they would interpret it in their, in their translation. They would say, well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, an a God. And they would say that's speaking of Jesus, that Jesus became not, he's not the God, he's a God. And, uh, and of course, they don't believe that Jesus is the eternal uh, son of God. If I could break down some, and I know this is not a, a cult or a, or a world religion class, but uh, Mormons believe that, this kind of helps us understand it, Mormons believe that Lucifer and Jesus uh, both approached God the Father, and they said, here am I, send me. Lucifer and Jesus came to God the Father, and they said, here am I, send me. Uh, but Jesus had a better strategy than, than Lucifer for the redemption of humanity. And then war broke out in heaven, and Satan was casted of heaven, and Jesus was picked to be the Savior. That's what the Mormon church believes. And they believe that over time, Jesus was exalted uh, to godhood. And they believe that if you become a Mormon, you could also become a god. And it's interesting, and I I mention all of this because to me it's interesting that this is the same lie that Lucifer said in the garden, that if you take of this fruit, you can become a god. And this isn't the truth. This is a lie. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians 1 and verse 4, according as he hath chosen us and him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, that Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world and eternity past to be the savior of the world. And, and we notice the promise of Lucifer in Genesis chapter 3. We notice here, and it's the same line that the Mormon church promotes, that you can become a god. You, you, can, be, you can be godlike, in, in, uh, and you can be of that same uh, that same place as God. And, and this is not, this is a lie from the devil, and this is not what the Bible teaches. Now, I think it's important to understand that this lie continues today outside of the Mormon church. The devil is trying to convince people uh, that there is true freedom in having control of your life, taking or removing God and his commands and his truth from your life, that this is true freedom. Uh, that we don't have to be accountable to God anymore. And we see that within even the evolution, you know, movement, where evolution is just really a working premise uh, for, uh, for those who would deny the existence of God so that they have no accountability to God. And evolution is kind of that umbrella to say, well, you know, everything just created by, was created by chance without God, without uh, God's power and God's plan and, and so we're not accountable to God. We can live our life and do our own thing. 
and uh, we, we don't need God in our life. And this lie is, is what circulates today within the, the uh, you know, atheistic uh, mindset that you don't need God. Now, I do, I do think it's important for us to note here that Adam and Eve had a free will, and they had the ability to choose. And you say, why is that important? Well, uh, the ability to choose is indeed true love. It is true love. You, you wouldn't call love true if someone was forced into a relationship, they were forced to obey, they were forced to be faithful. What makes love genuine is the, the ability to choose. And God had placed a tree in the garden because God wanted Adam and Eve to choose to obey him. They always had a free will. They always had a choice. And so we notice again the structure of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. Uh, Notice what the Bible says, God doth know that in that day, this is why God isn't good. This This is what Satan is saying here. This is the lie of the devil. This is why God isn't good. God is holding back from you. God knows that in that day, when you take of that fruit, that you will become like God, that you will know what is right, you will know what is wrong, you will know the difference between light and darkness, as God knows the difference Uh, of light and darkness. You will be on his level. If you take of this fruit, God is holding back from you. He doesn't want to enjoy. He doesn't want you to enjoy your life. Uh, This is kind of here, we see it in this scripture of this lie that Satan is presenting. And, And you can see how Satan is attacking the very motives of God. God is not holding back from Adam and Eve but giving them the opportunity to choose to obey and to love him. And within that choice is the protection, the protection of the consequence of their sin. You know, when we think about in the Bible what God told Israel, and God gave various restrictions in their diets, and as we go through the the books of the Bible, we read about all of those things. God wasn't holding back from them. God wasn't saying you can't eat pork because I don't want you to enjoy life. God was protecting them. Uh, In those days, those diseases would be carried uh, through pork and and shellfish and all of these things that God said, listen, God, the true God and his wisdom knew that they were to stay away from these things, that the diseases would be carried by certain animals, and by consuming these things, it would weaken the nation and that they would, they would be a nation that trusted in the, the God of Israel, the true God, and that by the way that they lived, other nations, Gentile nations, heathen nations would know that they served the true God and his wisdom. And, and so God wasn't, God wasn't holding back from Israel. God was protecting them, and God protects us from ourselves and from our, our sin. We notice what the Bible says in Psalm 84, verse 11. It says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And then it says this, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God doesn't hold back from us. God blesses us, and God wants us to enjoy the life that we live. But Satan wants to warp our perspective of, of God. 
Satan wants us and he wants the world to have a warped perception of who God is. You talk to unsaved people today, and one of the stumbling blocks that they have to coming to God is they would say, well, there's sickness, there's war, there's death in this world. And if God was good, you've heard this before, if God was good, why would he let all of this happen? And this, of course, is an unbiblical worldview. We know from the scripture that sin is the reason for death. And we talk about even something as simple as starvation, that the world itself produces enough food for all the world, but there's, a, there's something called selfishness and there's something called greed. All of those things are factors. Uh, and, and when we look at the world that God created in Genesis chapter 1, it's a lot different than the, the world that we see today that, that, you know, God said in Genesis 1, the world is good, that all that he created was very good. It's a lot different than the world that we see today. And so Satan is attacking uh, the very character and the motives of God. And this is the lie that Satan is presenting to Eve. You can be a god. You, you can have control of your life. You can be on God's level, and, and God is holding back from you. Why? If God is good, why wouldn't he let you have of this tree? And yet God is protecting them. Uh, notice we see uh, Adam and Eve's defense. So what would protect Adam and Eve from the lies of the devil? Uh, and the answer is simple. It's God's word. It's God's word. It's truth. Adam and Eve uh, should have trusted God at his word. They should have trusted their creator, their creator. Uh, and though God's word at this time was not, you know, a complete revelation of all that God has revealed, it was enough for Adam and Eve to make the right decision. God had commanded them not to take of the tree. I want you to turn with me to, to the book of Ephesians in the sixth chapter, Ephesians chapter six. And uh, obviously, we still have a problem with the devil in the world today. And the devil is still trying to mess up lives and trying to deceive and to confuse. And we have to protect ourselves in Christ. And Ephesians six and verse 11 helps us to do that. Um, it, the Bible says this, verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the word there, wiles, uh, speaks of trickery, deception, the trickery of the devil. So put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Several um, months ago, maybe years ago, it's, it kind of all comes together now, I don't remember, I preached a, a sermon series on the whole armor of God. You can go back on our website and you can listen to those messages and I break down each of them. I'm going to give you kind of just a quick overview here tonight of the armor of God and why it's important. Uh, first of all, there's the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, this is protecting our heart. The breastplate would protect the heart of a soldier and we would know in a, in a physical aspect that the heart is important to protect. Uh, but in a spiritual uh, thought, it, it's equally important. Our, our heart is our will, it's our emotions, it's our intellect. Um, and, and the heart is the center of everything that we do. Protecting our hearts determines our spiritual direction. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 57, verse 7. He says, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart 
is fixed. And we're either going to fix our heart toward God or we're going to fix our heart away from God. And we're going to run uh, in that direction. And so we want to make sure that we're running in the direction of the Lord. We want to make sure that God has our whole heart. Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. His heart is not with thee. And so there's an example of someone whose heart is not following after the Lord. And so we'll either fix our heart toward God or we'll fix our heart away from God. And the breastplate of, of righteousness is a life that is, is righteous, is running toward God. It's a desire to live a life for the, for the glory of God, a life to please the Lord. And uh, that, that's an important part of the, army of, uh, the armor of God is to run uh, toward the Lord and protect our heart. Then there's the helmet of salvation. If the breastplate protects our heart, then the, the helmet protects our mind. And, of course, we know that Satan, in, in Genesis chapter 3, he attacked the mind of Eve. And so confidence in our salvation, I love the Bible calls it the helmet of salvation. Uh, of course, confidence in salvation is a big part of marching forward for Jesus Christ. If Satan can discourage us or fill our minds with doubt, uh, then he can make us ineffective uh, in the cause for Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2 says, that ye be not soon shaken in mind. And how the devil wants to cause those doubts to shake us in our mind, to trouble our spirits. And so we put on that helmet to protect our minds because uh, our mind is a powerful tool to drive us to God or drive us away from God. Then there's the shield of faith. Of course, this protects us from Satan's doubts. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, the Bible says, above all. It's not saying that the shield of faith is the most important of all the armor because the Bible makes it clear we're, we're to put on all the armor of God. But the idea of the shield is in Bible days that shield would protect the entire body. And so the idea of above all is that shield is protecting our mind and our hearts and all of these essential parts of our life from the fiery darts of the wicked. And I think the thought there of wicked is not just the devil, but also the demons of the devil and, you know, the lies that we find in our world today. And so we're to protect ourselves from these lies with, with faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, and faith is keeping our eyes on the Lord, and we grow in faith by hearing the word of God. And so you can picture today the devil throwing these, these darts there like arrows, and he's throwing them at your life, and he's throwing, you know, an arrow of doubt. He's throwing an arrow of fear. He's throwing a, a, an, a, an arrow of bitterness or, or whatever the arrow is. And you've got that giant shield in front of you of faith. And you're not going to be wavered from trusting God. You're going to believe God. You're going to keep your eyes on Jesus. And that's the picture of the shield of faith. Uh, the Bible teaches us in James chapter 1, verse 14, that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and, and enticed. And so I think it's important for us to, to be aware that the fiery darts of the devil are premeditated. 
He's not just going to throw random darts at you. He knows you, and uh, those darts are premeditated. He's going to try to get you to, to trip up and to fall, and so we need to make sure we keep our eyes on the Lord and have faith to believe in, in God. And then there's the to gird our loins uh, about with truth, and this is the belt of truth that the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6. And this is the tuck in all of our, this belt would be worn by soldiers and they would, they would, uh, they would tuck in uh, their loose, loose clothing and it would help them to be prepared and to run uh, and to fight at, at battle time, to be ready at battle time. And the belt of truth is a commitment to trust and to rely on God. And, and truth is the foundation of the Christian's life. It's where we tuck all of our life into, our whole life is held together by truth. And so it is truth that holds us together as we we fight the battle, and so we stand on the truth. It's important to stand on the truth, and we we have to know the truth. We stand on the truth, and then we walk in the truth. And so we have to make sure that we're ready for battle, your loins girt about with truth. And then we have to have our feet shod with the preparation of, of the gospel, and this is the proper footwear for a Christian in the spiritual battle, and it's being ready to go out with the gospel, to go out with the gospel. I think a lot of people get tripped up and they get confused in the Christian life, and there's lots of opinions and there's lots of ideologies, uh, but the basics of the Christian life is to, to know God and to make God known. And we have to make sure that that is at the forefront of our life, to go into the world with the gospel and to be ready to give the gospel. And I think of the illustration in the Bible of David. And David got caught up with the sin of Bathsheba. You know the story of of David. David should have been at war. And instead of being prepared to fight where God had placed him, he was at home and he got caught up in sin. And, And I think that if we would place our priority and what God would have us to do, it would save us from a lot of trouble in our life. And so be prepared uh, to spread the gospel of peace. And then, of course, the spirit, the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive or the offensive weapon that we have as we are to go out and to fight the devil as he attacks us, as, as Satan was, uh, you know, Jesus used the word of God to fight against uh, the devil, and, to, and so we are to use the word of God as well. And then I just added this in there. I think it is a part of the, of the armor of God, though many preachers don't include it. Uh, I think prayer is added in Ephesians chapter 6 as kind of holding it all together uh, that we ought to be a people of, of prayer, that we find our strength in the battle uh, by going to the Lord and, and praying. And so putting on the, the whole armor of God is important, uh, and it, it stresses there uh, putting on that whole armor of God. So let's notice in verse number 6 the steps to sin. Notice what led Eve to make the decision that she made. Verse number 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. 
So what was the steps that led Eve to take of that fruit? And they always, they always have it an apple, right? Why, why is it always an apple? It, the, you know, it's, it's not, the Bible doesn't say it's an apple. It's a piece of fruit that she took. And, and what led her to take that? Well, number one, real simple here tonight, uh, the Bible says that she saw it. She saw it. Sin begins by seeing and wanting and desiring. I mentioned this in the message uh, a couple of Sundays ago on Genesis chapter 3, that this was the first step, and it's, it's first John, as the Bible says, it's the lust of the flesh. I, I want that. I want that. Why do you think companies spend millions of dollars on commercials? You see it, you want it. Do you know, do you know in, in, in this year, the Super Bowl was last Sunday, I think, right? It was last Sunday. Do you know the average price of a Super Bowl commercial? Do, do you know what people were willing to spend to put their product in front of the eyes of millions of people? I think, I, I believe 120 million people watched the Super Bowl and maybe more. I think that was the number, the last number I saw. Do you know how much a commercial for 120 million people cost? How much? Seven million? Seven million dollars is the price. Seven million dollars. People spend seven million dollars for a 30-second commercial to, to get people to see their product and hope that they want that product. And, uh, and that's what you have. Commercials have 30 seconds to one minute uh, to convince you that your life is empty until you have their product. That's what they want you to think. They want you to think that your life is empty and that you need their product to fulfill your life. I see that. I want that. And we have to remember, too, with the devil, and, and I'm not saying every commercial on television is of the devil, but I, I am saying that the devil presents things that are better than what they appear. The devil presents things in a way that would convince you that that is good and wholesome and, and right. Sin on television is always pictured as exciting and fun. It's never painted in a negative light. It's always painted in a, something that is, you know, exciting and good. Um, it always, sin always on, on television, it paints the picture of freedom, that, uh, you know, you will be free, and you can be free, and you can enjoy this. And so many young people will jump on that, that bandwagon and think that true freedom is just doing whatever you want and living your life uh, however you want. But the Bible says that sin is not freedom, it's bondage. It's bondage. And, and when someone actually gets what they wanted, when somebody actually gets those things, uh, they realize that they've been lied to, that they don't make you happy. They leave you empty. You know, Solomon wrote a book in the Bible um, called the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is a book about the pursuits of a man other than God trying to find happiness and purpose in their life. And, and there's something we have to understand about when we read the Bible, because I think this will help us 
to properly interpret the, the Bible for our life. The Bible presents two different uh, perspectives. The first perspective are, they are uh, descriptions. And, and what I mean by descriptions is it, it describes what had happened or what has happened. That doesn't mean that it's of God. It doesn't mean that it's truth. It doesn't mean that God wants it to happen in your life. It just reveals the descriptions of the decisions of people. And when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we write, or excuse me, we read about descriptions of a man who's pursuing or whose pursuits are everything but God. I mean, he had work, he had uh, wisdom, he had wealth, he had success, he had various relationships. All of these things he thought would make him happy, but he realized at the end that all of these things were vanity and vexation of spirit, these descriptions. And, And then there's also in the Bible prescriptions, And prescriptions are what should have happened. God gives a prescription of this is truth. This is the decision that you should make. What did did Solomon say at the end of his life? After he went through all of the things that he thought would make him happy, he comes to chapter 12 of the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. He came to the conclusion that without God, life is empty. And so the Bible presents descriptions, what happened, and prescriptions, what should happen. And we have to understand by interpretation what's a description and what's a a prescription. Now, Ecclesiastes is those descriptions. And Eve saw this tree. And the Bible says she saw the tree that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the flesh, that it would make one wise. This is the pride of life. And Eve made a carnal decision. Number two, not only did she see, she desired. She desired. The look of Eve turned to lust. No, Eve wants the fruit for herself. James chapter 1, can we turn there? James chapter 1, and notice what the Bible says here in verse number 13. James 1 and verse number 13. Notice what the Bible says here in, uh, as we think about sin and temptation. James 1, verse 13, the Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So there has to be a desire there. And, and you know, we talk about the devil made me do it, and maybe the, the devil presents it in a way uh, that is desirable and that we want, but within our human heart, there has to be uh, a desire. And the Bible says in verse 15, and when that lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 
We have to remember that the temptation in itself is not sinful. Jesus was tempted but without sin. It's giving in to that temptation. It's when that temptation, it, it, it's conceived, it, it comes to pass. This is when we find sin. And so uh, I, I think a good illustration of this is the story of Lot. Uh, when Lot looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah, he saw, he saw that the waters were well watered, the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and he wanted those plains for himself. And, uh, and so then we see number three. This is uh, gratification. She, she took the fruit. She took the fruit. She made up her mind to listen to the serpent. The Bible says she took of the fruit and she ate it. She ate it. And then she gave it to her husband and he ate it. Verse number seven says this, and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. We notice the immediate effect of sin from ignorance to sinners. We see that they became ashamed uh, in verse number seven. And it really does reveal the half-truth of the devil that they now see good and evil, light and darkness. We see Adam and Eve are experiencing shame and guilt for their nakedness. And so to cover themselves up, they sew fig leaves together. Uh, and now they are polluted. They are corrupt. They are separated from God. Uh, number two, so we notice the, the, the adversary. That's number one. Uh, number two is the, the aftermath. The aftermath. So, in verse number 7, we see that they, they eat of the fruit. Now, look what the Bible says in verse number 8 now. It says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God uh, amongst the trees of the garden. Now, it would, it would seem to me that this was uh, something that God did uh, as he fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. Um, and we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before they committed this sin. Uh, but now we see the relationship has changed because now there's fear. There was never fear before. They never hid from God. They were never ashamed to, to be uh, with God. And now there's that shame. There's that guilt. There's that fear. And they're hiding themselves. We find not only the, the adversity and the devil, but we see the aftermath in verse number 8 of, of the sin. This intimate relationship that Adam and Eve had with God is broken. And so in verse number 8, we see they're hiding from God. They're hiding from God. And, and that is, by the way, the, uh, the aftermath of sin. We, we hide. Uh, there's shame. In Genesis 2.25 they were not ashamed, but in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they are ashamed. And also notice that when Adam and Eve sinned, they don't go looking for God. They don't go seeking for God to restore that relationship. They don't go looking for God to confess their sin. But God comes looking for Adam. God comes looking for Eve. And the Bible says in Psalm 10, verse 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. 
And it's, it's interesting because God, God knew, by the way, God knew that Adam and Eve had sinned. He knew that that fellowship was broken. He knew that they had disobeyed him. And that's why he, he comes to them. That's why he approaches them. Evangelist Billy Sunday said this. Think of the words of Evangelist Billy Sunday. He said that sinners can't find God for the same reason criminals can't find policemen. <laughs> They're not looking for them. And uh, the same is true with God. Uh, Adam and Eve didn't go looking for God. They hid from God. They didn't want to approach God. They didn't want to see God because they knew that they had sinned against him. But yet, I'm glad here for the Spirit of Christ in these verses. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and we find the Spirit of Christ in verse number 9 of Genesis 3, where the Bible says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Adam, where are you? Now, this question we find really reveals the love of God. Adam, where are you? God has not abandoned us. He comes looking for us. And, and by the way, I think it's important for us to understand that God doesn't ask questions because he needs information. God didn't ask Adam, where are you? Because he didn't know. But it's an opportunity for Adam to get right. It's an opportunity for Adam to confess. So God asks questions for our good and for the opportunity to be honest with ourselves. And, and so... Again, I, I think it's important for us to state that when we read this passage of Scripture, I don't want us to look at God as a cruel master who's dis disciplining a, a wayward slave. Uh, that's, that's not the attitude that we see in Genesis chapter 3. But what we find here is a father who is brokenhearted uh, over the, the disobedience of, of their child. And God is brokenhearted. And when he says, Adam, where are you? That, that is a, 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 you know, a question of love and compassion, uh, but also of sorrow for the sin of Adam and Eve. Notice Adam's response. It's interesting. He says here in verse number 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You know, Adam hid himself because he was afraid of the consequences of his sin. And uh, oftentimes we hide from God. People try to hide their sins or they think they can hide from God, but we cannot, we cannot hide from God. You know, it's interesting how sin and the results of sin, we think about where did sin start. Sin didn't start in the Garden of Eden. Uh, sin started in heaven with Lucifer. And he was cast out of heaven. And Lucifer comes to the earth, he's cast to earth, and he deceives the woman, and Adam willfully chose to disobey God. Uh, and we think about, okay, so, you know, heaven, Lucifer makes a choice, he wants to be God, he rebels against God, he's kicked out of heaven. In the Garden of Eden, which is a, a perfect place, I mean, perfect, but still, still Adam and Eve had a free will, and yet they chose to obey or they chose to believe a lie instead of God. And then we even fast forward it to the millennial reign where, where Jesus is on the throne. 
And we think about this for just a moment as God protects Jews uh, during the tribulational time. God finds a place for them and feeds them and protects them and they're, they're ushered into the millennial reign. And for a thousand years to die at a hundred years old is to die young. For a thousand years, Christ will be on the throne. And yet at the end of a thousand years, there's, there's a great multitude of people that still rebel against Christ uh, and will join in the battle of Armageddon to fight against God. What am I saying? I'm saying that this is incredible because oftentimes in our sin, we blame our, our environment. We say, well, if you would place me in a better environment under better circumstances, I wouldn't have committed that deed or I would have chose differently. But yet, every time I read in the Bible where pivotal decisions are made, they were in perfect environments. They were in good environments, but still made a choice, still made a decision. And so we have to be careful of the decisions that we make. We have to protect our heart and our minds because the devil is real. He's a roaring lion who seeks to destroy. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk more about this. We'll stop here. Uh, but I'm going to tell a story next week about a, a gentleman who brings chicken wings to a potluck at work and how that story represents how people see sin and how, uh, why people, even though there's consequences to sin and even though many times we know the consequences of sin, why people choose to go down that road. Uh, we'll, we'll break it all down in the decision uh, of Adam and Eve. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to 